So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. We're in a series. We're in Proverbs in our small groups, and we're in uh, the Gospels on the wisdom of Jesus. Now, I try to, this is one of those messages that it's like, how can I soften the landing here? Let me throw out some airbags that you can fall on. And it's, it's just one of those that, so a lot of pastors uh, run from it. And they don't, and, and that's the problem with the wisdom of Jesus is that it deals with real life issues. Uh, we're going to deal with marriages coming up and divorce and human sexuality. And not that there's any confusion about that in our world. I mean, come on. And so, you know, and, and, and it's always difficult when you're teaching something that's contrary to popular opinion. Uh, or political correctness. And Jesus didn't worry about that because he wanted the truth and people to have the truth because the truth will free you as the wisdom of the world will bind you. It will rob you and cheat you. And so I don't want to cheat you. And as pastors, uh, Kim and I, as we lead the church, we don't avoid topics because they're they're uh, either challenging or controversial. Uh, and this is extremely controversial this, mo- this morning. You wouldn't think it would be, but it's, it's, me- you know, it's messing with you in ways you can't avoid it. And a lot of messages you can kind of go, yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that- this is going to be like right in your back pocket. This is going to be in your purse. We're going to talk about money. If I had it together, I would have played the Pink Floyd, you know, ching, money. Anyway, some of you remember, some don't. Anyway, it was a great rock song. And uh, so we're going to talk about God's wisdom on your finances. Now, I can't say everything there is to say about things, but I, I want to give you some big kind of big priorities that you can build on. Uh, all these principles are things that my wife and I have challenged by God, worked into our lives over the years. We've worked it into the life of this church, and we've, we've led this church in financial stewardship, and it's one of the ways God has blessed us, not because we're smarter or better than others, but because we've applied some principles that have worked for us because God is good and he takes care of us. So Jesus is going along teaching and all of a sudden this guy blurts out chapter 12, gospel of Luke, someone in the crowd, verse 13, he breaks out, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, you know, it sounds like maybe it's a domestic dispute. It's a, this guy could be sounding humble, uh, like his brother's the bad guy. Uh, we don't know anything about the backstory, uh, but watch the wisdom of Jesus here. First is he doesn't enter into something that's not his issue. And that's, that's, that, that's for some of us, that's hard to do. Avoid situations that aren't, you're not called upon to step into. I was sitting in Publix getting some meat cut. I was listening to the guy behind there talking about living with his, living with his girlfriend. And, and somebody said to him, well, aren't you getting married? And, ah, what's marriage? It's just a piece of paper. And he went on and on. He started quoting movie stars that had been married a long or lived together a long time, never married or waited. Through. He's just going on and on. You do not know how hard it was for me not to say, excuse me. I have a reason to get married, and it's not a piece of paper. 
His name is Jesus, and he has some things to say about it. If it matters to you, I don't care what Goldie Hawn does with her life. I'm not going to live to worship Goldie Hawn. I worship or Kurt Russell. I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm happy they finally got married. I don't care. That's not what I'm going to say. And same with the wisdom that we're going to use this morning is Jesus' view of money. I don't really care what Bill Gates thinks about money. I don't really care what Wall Street says. I want to know, what does Jesus have to say? So this guy blurts out, come into this problem that's not yours, Jesus. And so he avoids the trap. Verse 14, he says, hey, I'm not your judge. I'm not an arbitrator. In other words, you can go get one of those. They're all around. That's not why I'm here. But while I'm at it, while you opened your big mouth, I'm going to lance that boil in your heart. Now, that doesn't say that in the Bible. I'm adding those words, but that's what happens. Verse 15, Jesus says to them, watch out. Be on guard. Get your guns out. There's something coming for you. There's something dangerous. And he's going to lance this boil in this guy's heart. He says, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, in America, if I had to pick number one sin, right here, right here. Oh, the church don't talk about money. I, just, I know the church is going to talk about money. I don't go to church because I talk. You know why? Because you're greedy. You don't want to hear about money because you're greedy. There's not another reason. You don't understand the principles of God. And the churches that don't talk about money aren't discipling their people. And if you don't disciple someone, how do you resist the sins of your culture? Bombed with ads and ads and ads and ads. We live in a culture that's just, and we got a whole generation of people raising up that don't understand the concept of hard work. Sacrifice equals making money. They don't grasp that. And we're going to see in this story that Jesus is not against money. He's not against wealth. In fact, reading the book of Proverbs, it's filled with admonitions to don't be lazy. Get off your rear end and get a job. Work hard. Be diligent. Be wise. Invest. Jesus says in other ways, don't bury your talent in the ground. At least put it in the bank and get some interest on it. He's not anti-growth. He's not anti-prospering. What he's against, you'll see, is he doesn't want it to get you. He doesn't want you to fall into the web that can be woven around money. It's extremely dangerous when you hand a dollar bill to someone. It's, 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 it's dangerous for our souls. Kind of reminds me of my grandson, and uh, he was probably five years old, six, maybe. And Grandma slides him five $1 bills out to eat. Five dollars. When I was a kid, I had to mow two yards to get five dollars. Five dollars. He looked down at grandma, looked down at those five ones. He says, I don't do ones. I said, buddy, those are five. It's the same thing as a five dollar bill. I don't do ones. He pushed them back. Grandma, being the grandma she is, maybe I'm, I wouldn't have given him a dime. I would have said, you, you lost your chance. She went, got change, got a $5 bill, and gave it to him. And then he felt like he got something. 
Come to find out his older sister was working at the time as a waitress, and she'd come home and she'd mumble when she was counting on her money, I don't do ones. I don't like ones. So he picked it up from her. So we get our values by watching people and learning, so got to be careful. I don't do ones. I love that. So Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story to help guard against greed that's a common affliction, a common disease. How much time do you spend on internet not reading about getting this, eating that, don't eat this, don't do that? I'm going to help you for your soul. It may not help your body, but it'll help your soul, which helps your body. So Jesus tells the story against warning against greed. He told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Let me just stop there for a second. Why did the ground produce a good crop? Let me see your hand. Deborah. Why is it good ground? So can you fertilize the desert and it becomes good ground? No, it isn't. It's dead. It's, it's, it's good ground. Why? You can, well, you, but you can till ground all day long and it doesn't make it fertile. You're missing the point here. Johnny, what do we have? What is it? Yes, ma'am. What is it? He blessed the ground. Thank you. Fifth one on the list. The rest of you. Let me just pause and say, you know, and that's part of I get it. And I'm not going to go down the road of the whole privilege deal and, you know, all that. I don't buy into most of that. But, you know, it's a privilege to live in America. And I know I have benefits at times in my, I have a, a step up at times and more advantages being a white person. I get that. I, you know, and, and I'm not going down that road, but I want to go down the road that there's a, there's a, a blessing that we all better pay attention to is that without sunlight, there ain't nothing growing without rain, ain't nothing growing without the blessing of God. So this guy misses that because he did it. He worked hard and now he's got servants working hard. He's industrious. He's diligent. He's applying wise business principles. But what he's missing is that it only happened by God's blessing. And we know that, but we forget it. Now look what happens. He tells the story. So his ground, now notice the personal pronouns as I read this. It's, it's, it's just so, it's almost humorous. It's so filled with uh, pride. Verse 17, he thought to himself, which is never good. You start there. That, how do you know if you need wisdom? Well, when the only counsel you seek is your own, you're in trouble. Because I almost always agree with me. I think, man, you got a real, you got a good case there. I mean, others should see it your way. And I get, I counsel me. I agree with me. We like each other. We think you're amazingly smart. And who couldn't listen to anybody that wouldn't listen to that sound reason? And, you know. And, 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 but there's these massive blind spots. And so be careful. If you want to learn wisdom, start with, you don't have any. Amen. Oh, yeah, I do. I grew up. Uh, you might have worldly wisdom. You don't get God's wisdom without getting it from God. You have to learn these. It's painful. And you'll see that in a minute. So the guy says, he says, I, I, what shall, verse 17, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. 
I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my gain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Taking it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And that's the American dream. I did it my way. I made it happen. I sacrificed. I did this. I did that. I deserve this. I deserve that. The only thing that's never mentioned here is God. It's all about what he has accomplished. So here's the first thing you have to learn in, when, you, when you speak in reference to, to money. Money, money lies. It, it, it just, it's got the ability to deceive. It brings false promises. Money tells you that if you have enough of it, you'll be happy. So that it can buy. Now, I get it that money buys comfort. I, I, I get that. I've been to other countries that are deeply uncomfortable, uh, waiting in line three days for gas, not having any meat, living on one meal, a scarce meal a day, waiting in line for a couple hours to get on the bus to be able to get to church. I'm thinking, I don't think we'd have very many in our church if that's what it took. Just think about it. If you had to get up this morning, get the kids ready, and go stand in line for two hours, then you get on the bus, then you get to the church. And when you're done with the church, you get on another bus, if you're lucky to catch it, two hours just to get back home. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an all-day commitment. And I just think about the fact, you know, you, you can, we're so easy to push away. Jesus is talking about wealthy people. That's certainly not you and me. Well, I know it's me. I fall in that category because we have two cars. We have a big, nice home. I have a pool. I've, I've recently purchased a boat. I mean, you, you can't be a pauper. And, and, and when I compare myself... Now, it's easy to compare yourself to some Bill Gates billionaire, but when you just talk about having a cell phone, cars, having the, the, the food that we buy, we moan and groan, but we have air conditioning and power, and we have a, a lots of, as some people have more than, and, and so none of that's wrong. What's wrong is when you think that it's going to make you happy to have a little bit more. When we sang this morning, more of Jesus that's the solution, not more stuff. More stuff, as we'll talk next week, just brings more anxiety. One of the dangers of money is the more you have, the more you worry. You worry about losing it. When you don't have anything, you know, poor people don't lock their houses. They're not worried. It's kind of like the comedian said about the Mormons that suppose they have seven years stored up of food when the hard times come. He's like, there ain't enough weapons to keep people away from seven years of food if they're starving. They better have an army because we're coming after that food. It's kind of like, you know, every home that has a generator when the hurricane comes and you're the only home with lights on, you got some dough. So you're just attracting people to your homes like a bug light. I mean, there's day, you know, the more you have the more you worry about losing. When you don't have much, you don't care what the stock market does. They're like, well, but it lost 10 points this week. Who cares? I don't even have one point in there. People don't care. So we'll talk more about that. That's why I told the Lord when I bought that boat. I said, God, this looks like a massive pile of anxiety coming my way. We've been trying to find a hobby. We want a hobby. We want to do something fun and, and something that's not church-related. We want to hang out with porpoises, not you. And so 
They're so much for fun. They follow the boat. They jump. We're like, yes, yes. Why can't church be like that? No, it's life. But I'm not going to lay there worrying about it. Is it going to sink? I'm not going to lay there worrying about it. Is it going to break down? Is it going to worry about blah, 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 blah. I said, Lord, I'll give it one year. And if one year I'm not having joy and, and if I'm worrying about it more than I'm enjoying it, it's gone. It's gone. It's just a boat. And that's the problem. The more you have, the more you worry about losing. Fear of going without drives many people to build greater and greater piles of wealth. Money says I can make you happy. Money also says I can make you secure. Look what it says to this guy. He says, and he says in uh, verse 19, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. What's the caveat there? Who's going to protect those good things? What happens when the stock market crashes? They're gone. What happens when someone steals your pension and it happens? And the crunch of, oh, you know, when the bank bail out, do you know how many people lost their pensions and banks made millions? It's just a corrupt world that we live in. And the falseness is that you can have enough saved up that's going to give you security. Not only will money not give you happiness, it'll never give you security. You can hire guards. You can put me, you, it, it just not going to make you secure. It just, we live in a world that's dangerous. It's filled with risk. And again, I'm not, admin, admin, I'm not encouraging you to just forget about the, the Bible talks about planning. It talks about wisdom. It talks about saving. Many people without money hate people that have money because the people that have money were willing to go without the things that the people without money weren't willing to go without. And, you know, God doesn't look at someone with wealth and say, you're a bad person. And he doesn't look at someone that's poor and say, you're a bad person. It doesn't define who we are in the kingdom of God. It doesn't make you more or less important. Money can't buy you security and it can't buy you health. I'd like to think it could. We're one of the wealthiest nations in the world. Do you know it in Burundi, if you, if you have a sickness, they have no health care. You need cash just to get into the hospital. And the widows have nothing. They have no social security. They have no Medicare. They have no, you're, you're, you're basically at the mercy of others and, and the church. And the church there is very generous to, to those. And yet you can have all the money in the world and the best doctors, but there's certain things they're just not going to heal. They're not going to stop. They're not going to fix. I wish they could. You can't buy a cure to cancer. You can't buy a cure from a heart attack. You can't buy a cure from the things that are destroying lives today. Money is not going to make you happy. It's not going to make you secure. And it's not going to make you healthy. It can't make a healthy marriage. It, now, I know money can be one of the main things marriages fight over. How to handle it. How to, how to spend it. It's a difficult challenge negotiating that. But it's never going to make your marriage happier to have a bunch of money and you don't communicate with each other. You don't work through issues. You just let things take the place of each other. And that's not a solution. So this guy's believing all the lies you can believe about money. He's set, kicked back. He's, he's, he's sold his soul to have security. Someone has said that the last idol that humans will give up is the idol of security. We will vote on anybody that will make us secure. When it gets dangerous, and someday it will, really dangerous, whoever looks like they're going to pull us out of the danger and it's going to make us peace, 
We're going to vote on them even if they're the Antichrist. It's the world that we live in, and it's the fear that the enemy uses that you're going to lose everything. If your heart's tied to those things, then you're going to lose your heart. You're going to lose your soul. So what are some things that we can do in a proactive way? Because Jesus ends the story by saying in verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 20, but God said to him, you fool, let me help you. When God says that, that's never good. When he summarizes your life with one word, fool, fool's not good in the Bible. If you read Proverbs, fool is not good. If Proverbs says anything, it's don't be a fool. A fool isn't stupid intellectually. A fool is bankrupt spiritually. It's someone that's pushed God out of their life, doesn't matter how smart or successful you are. God would get in the face of any billionaire and say, you're a fool if you think this is going to give you security, salvation, forgiveness, love from a God in heaven. No, I'm not going to buy it. You can't. You're, you're, you've believed lies. You've been deluded. You're deceived. You're a fool. He said, tonight, tonight, this very night, your life or your soul will be demanded. How? Who is God to do that? Come on. That's not fair. If you think you're God, that's not. But if you realize he's the creator He gave you your life. It's a gift. Like your breath is a gift. He gave it and he can say, no more breath. And when he does, you're done. You can't resuscitate people that God's taken home. I've been in too many situations. When God pulls the plug, it doesn't matter whether you have or not. You can keep someone all day long on a respirator. But if God's taken them home, then he's taken them home. Because we belong to the God that made us. Now, we may think in independence, it's my life, my world, my possessions, my time, my... The, and God says, hello, you've forgotten where you came from. You've forgotten who made you. You've forgotten who you belong to. That everything you have is on loan from God. Your very life is a gift that God's given for you to be a steward of. You start there with your money, that everything belongs to God. Now, how do you show God that everything belongs? Let me just hold, hold your finger here if you're following in the Bible. And you read through this in Proverbs, and, and we talked about it a little bit. Chapter 3 in the book of Proverbs has this principle. Remember, Proverbs aren't guaranteed promises. They're principles. And this is one in chapter 3. It's a beautiful one because how do you start with keeping from greed? This is step one. You know, he's going to go on. We're going to read about it in a minute. But he, he says in the chapter of Luke that we're in that seek the kingdom of God. Matthew says seek first the kingdom. And, but one of the ways you do that is acknowledging that everything God has he's given you is learning to honor him in your giving. Now look what it says in Proverbs 3 verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That doesn't mean you go, thank you, Jesus, like the people at the the award ceremonies. I want to thank God. You've lived for the enemy the whole year, but you won an award, and now you're going to thank God for it. That's not giving God honor. 
Giving God honor is walking in light of. So to honor God with your finances means you learn to give. This is what he says here. I thought this is great tie-in with the guy that wanted to build bigger barns. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. God's not opposed to prospering people. God's not opposed to people having wealth. It's the wealth having the people. It's hoarding the wealth. It's selfishly using the wealth. It's thinking you made the wealth and it belongs to you. So God says this, step one, you'll never beat greed until you learn how to tithe. And that's what this word here means when it says, honor the Lord with your first fruits. That means when you're a sheep person, you give God your first sheep and trust him for the next nine. It's 10%. You give him the first of the harvest and trust him for the 90% to come after that. It's honoring God. And I know people get all weird. and, and it be, Why? Because it deals with the idol of wealth. Most people have a hard time honoring God with their finances because it's a reflection that they don't trust him. When you know him and you know how generous he is and you trust him, not money, you trust him, not your abilities, you trust him, then there's not a hard time saying, God, I'm going to give you 10% of whatever you give me. That's a beginning point. That doesn't mean that the other 90% belongs to you. It just means it's a witness that all that I have has come from him. All that I keep, I'll use for him. And when, you, when the king would come and invade a foreign country in the Bible days, everybody was required to pay a tithe to the king. And the tithe said, I'm submitted to that king's authority. When I give 10% to Jesus, whether I do it online, which we do, it's an automatic, doesn't matter. If I'm not writing a check, it's still giving. Many, half our church gives by online giving. It's, it's my recognition in my wife and I's that all that we have came from God. We know that we wouldn't be pastoring if it wasn't for the grace of God. We know that we wouldn't be a church prospering if it wasn't for the grace of God. He's given us good ground in Cape Coral. And I, I, don't, I got other friends that have hard ground. And they're not able to see things happen in their churches that we've been able to see. We've got good ground here. God's been good to us. And there's reasons for that. One of them is, as a church, we practice these principles. You'll learn in UIO that we give back out 10% to what we take in, not in salaries and staff, and not even in local compassion ministry. That's thousands of dollars more of what we spend in caring for the poor. We honor what we train people to do. You're not in yet if you're not in with your giving. And that's hard to start. When you're not used to it, you feel like you're getting robbed, but the very other, the other reality is you're robbing God. It's his. He's not asking you if you feel like it. He's not saying if you get goosebumps when you talk about it. He's just saying, honor me with your first, first and your best. Honor me. It's not something to pray about if you're going to follow Jesus and call him Lord. It's kind of like the guy that was getting baptized and someone pointed out, hey, man, you got your wallet in your back pocket. He says, I know I do. It needs to be baptized as much as I do. Some of you ain't had your wallet baptized. It's yours, not his. You know, when you get married, one of the hardest things to learn to do 
it's no longer mine, it's ours. When you get saved, it's no longer yours, it's his. Until you learn that, everything, his, his. He gave you the talents. He gave you the wisdom. He gave you the good ground. He gave you the opportunities. I'm glad that you worked hard. There's a lot of people that work hard that don't make a lot of money. There's no guarantee that you're diligent, you work hard, and you're going to have a lot of wealth. But there are times that God gives wealth, but he doesn't give it so that it will ruin your soul. He gives it so that you can be a steward of what I believe some of you in here God would like to give a lot more money to. But he can't trust you because you're not going to do good things and it's not going to be good for your soul. So why would you give good more money to someone that's not being faithful in the money they've got? Honor the Lord your barn. He wants to fill your barns. Now, I don't know how big that barn's going to be. It's different for all of us. But some of you, God wants a bigger barn. But not to hoard for yourself. He's like, can I trust you with more? We got people in this church that God gives them a lot. And they give God a lot. I get to watch it. My wife and I get to watch it. You see others that whine and complain about this or that in the church, and yet they give little to nothing. The people that give the most and are the most generous in this church, they never ask us anything. Why? Because they're all in. They're all in. It's home. Let me show you a second principle. Go back with me to Luke. So first of all, learn to tithe. If you're going to beat greed, you can't beat it until you started giving God 10%, which is a simple mathematical equation. If you made $842, you dropped the last dollar, the last category. So you dropped the two, and you gave, give, give God, what did I say, 840 You gave him $84. If you made $7,301, you dropped the one, and you give God 700 and $31. That's what a tithe is. It's not you pulling out your wallet and you give the $10 bill and you drop it in and say, I tithe. Only if, they, only if you made $100 this week. If you made $100, then $10 is a tithe. And it's not proportioned to God. There are some big givers in this church. There's also smaller givers that are big givers because they make smaller incomes. It's equal sacrifice when you give 10%. Some give a whole lot. Others give much less, but when they give their much less, they have much less left over. And don't believe the lie that if you just made more money, it'd be easier to tithe. If you can't tithe on a $500 check, if you're making $5,000 a week, you'll never tithe on it. You just won't. It, it, it's, it's a faith muscle. So number one, if you're going to seek God's kingdom first, you've got to honor God with your finances. Number two, look what he says back in Luke chapter 12. He says in verse 31, seek, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you. We'll talk more about that next week, but I want you to see verse 33. Sell your possessions, give it to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now, this is interesting psychology here. Most people would think, I would, uh, and probably even have said it this way, that if, you, if your heart's in something, then your treasure will be there. That's not what this verse says. 
What's it say? If your treasure is some, in something, your heart will be there. Well, what's the difference? The difference is it's not some great big feeling that I have that moves me to sacrifice the finances God's given me and to put 10% of it into a church. If I wait on that to happen, then I'm not going to move as quickly. But if, if the church, God's kingdom presence, his love, love and Jesus, if that is your treasure, if truly the most important thing to you is the kingdom of God, his love, his salvation, if that's your treasure, then your, your heart's going to follow after that. And people that, 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 there's 19 different ways I could illustrate it, but I could just say this. If you don't have skin in the game, if you're not putting treasure into the church, your heart is missing. Because I'm not just talking about church here. I'm talking about spiritual investment. If you took the same principles that you made money with and applied those principles to be enriched towards God, then you'll be a person that doesn't have to fear losing their finances, inflation robbing them, stock market crashing. You don't have to go after the, the, the fear of someone breaking in and stealing, things breaking down as they will. I mean, are we not insurance poor? Come on. I mean, really. I, I envy other countries sometimes. They don't have as much, but they don't have homeowner's insurance that doesn't cover wind so you got to have wind insurance that doesn't cover flood. So you get flood insurance that doesn't cover mold. So you get mold insurance that when you try to collect on it, they don't pay you. And then you have car insurance. And then you buy a lawnmower and they want you to buy a lawnmower insurance. And then you have health insurance and life insurance. And you, we basically have feared ourselves into insuring everything in life. And there is no assurance. The, the, the reality is things are going to break down. People are going to steal stuff. Stuff's going to rot, rot, rust. The stock market is going to go up and going to go down. You're going to have recessions. You're going to have bankruptcies. You're going to have, it's unstable. And to put all your treasure here, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I know what's, no, no, in a day. You read the book of Revelation, in a day, one day could change the world economically. One day. Just one day. But in heaven, there is no fear of losing your investment. There is no fear of inflation taking it. There is a, so Jesus, this whole story is about where is your treasure. Get your treasure in the right way. That's why as a church, we, we teach tithing. But then we come around sometime in January. We do a big all-in offering for convoy. There they go again. We're doing what this verse says. Sell and give to the poor people that can't get back. We take up thousands of dollars and sponsor hundreds of kids. The same as offerings for We do things when we get, when during COVID. The, the economic strategy of this church was really simple. Keep tithing, people did. We trained our church to tithe. So when they're at home watching and can't get the church, guess what they did? They tithe. Shocker. They're committed. It's not like paying 
Ransom, when you come, you got to give something. But if you don't come, you don't give anything. That's just that your heart's not here because your treasure's not here. We survived COVID because we had people that were faithful and giving. We survived COVID because we fed the poor. There were days we fed 900 hot meals in that parking lot. 900 cars going by. It was insane. We, we, we honored the Lord by continuing to care for those missions that we support. We gave out and gave away. So I just say, it works for this church. It works for people. That you, I've never met an unhappy person that honors God with their finances. There's a, there's a, it's, a, it's a way to sever the cords of attachment. You know, the more you have, the more death brings terror to you that you're going to lose all of this. But if your treasure is with Jesus, therefore your heart's attached to him. I'm going to him, whatever I let go. And that includes family. They're treasures, but when you know that they're invested in, in the kingdom, that they're going where you're going, you're not saying bye for long. It's just a, I'll see you later. Because our treasure is with him. So Jesus could care less about your money. He doesn't need it. He's doing fine without it. He doesn't need a dime any of us have to give. I said, someone said one time, he, what a great prayer this was. He said, uh, he, there, Psalm says that God owns the cattle and the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. He said to God one day, he said, God, if you own all those cows, I'm in a tight place. Why don't you kill one of them and give it to me? He got a check that week in the mail for like 500 bucks, which back then was like a couple thousand. It was from the Cattlemen's Association. God's not, God's not bankrupt. He's not corrupt governments, destroy economies. It's not God that wanted it that way. It's corruption. It's people that are living in unjust ways. God wants to bless you, but he doesn't want to do it in a way that hurts you. It's like those TV shows they used to have the studies where people win the lottos. Very few of them turn out well. It's ruined. Pro football players that make millions and end up bankrupt. Bankrupt. Their own family seduces them to get their money. It's a, it's a horrible reality that, that wealth earned by without work, without understanding, one guy in the NFL got his first paycheck, $225,000, one-week pay. He framed it and hung it on a wall. And they finally said, hey, man, where's your paycheck? You never cashed it. He never had a check in his life. He didn't know what a check was. He just thought it was something to frame and put on the wall. You know, training kids nowadays, and there's just so much more. I just, I'm going to stop here. I want to say this. God doesn't need your money, but you need to give God what belongs to him, which is everything. And so if he asks for everything, you, you got to give it. There are people in the Bible where Jesus said, hey, you're doing great. Just give away everything you got and follow me and things will be good. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. He loved his possessions more than he loved the Savior. And the only way I can fight against that is learning to honor God with my tithe, learning to be generous. We had the best compliment I think could ever be given. Kim and I were on a Zoom call with the key leaders that were part of the conference, and they just were bragging on this church of how generous this year. We spent $10,000 as a church 
on the conference unasked for. And we spent 5000 more on the budget than they allowed us for. But we gave that as a gift to the conference. And they just, they kept talking about how generous this church was. And one of the leaders that's known us for probably 25 years, he said, let me just tell you about Jamie and Kim. They're generous people. The reason the church is generous is because they've trained the church to be generous. And we've worked hard at that. We give at times when people go, no, that's a waste. No, you can't. No, no, no. We're generous. We've learned that if you're generous to the poor and you're generous to the least deserving, God takes care of you. That's our economic strategy. Tithe, be generous, honor God. And it works. It's not brain surgery. And again, it's not give and you'll get. It's give and you'll be free from the attachment. It's not given, well, maybe you'll get more. No, it's given. You've grown in your faith. You've, you've, you've evidenced, I trust you, God. Every time you give, you got to, Lord, it's you. You multiply my seed. You bless this tithe. You honor my giving. Father, thank you that 90% of my money that you've entrusted me with, with your blessing will go further than 100% without your blessing. You can't outgive God. You cannot be more generous than he is. Again, that doesn't exempt you from heartaches and problems and tr- struggles. It just means Jesus would be on guard. There's a wicked, wicked thing called greed. It's not having. It's hoarding. It's not accumulating. It's being unwilling to be generous with it and honor him at his request. And I believe God would trust us with more. He's been saying that to me for over a year now. Can I trust you with more? I don't know more what. I I don't want something that's going to be a burden on me. And more money could be a burden. Some of you, you, you're not wired to have more money. You just can't. I admire people with money that steward it. And we know people in this church. They've worked hard. They've been wise in their investments. The ground's been good. And they're generous. So generous. I'm thinking, wow. Because they have to navigate hard temptation. Like when you have a lot of money, the tendency would be to give your kids money, to bail bail them out. I'll never forget, I helped one of my kids buy a boat. We didn't even own one. I helped them buy a boat. It was insane because I didn't want them going into deep debt. So we went into debt, helped buy them a boat. Well, after the marriage didn't work, the boat went on with the, the, the guy that, you know, got my money. I'm like, I'm not going to buy anybody a boat again. I might buy me a boat. They can buy their own boats. It's, it's, it's just learning. When you've got a lot of money and you can solve, you can't just go throwing it around. That's not stewardship. You've got to be prayerful and, and discerning. Is, is this where God wants me? Is this how God wants me to be? You can't, you know. So I just say, learn to tithe. Start. Just be faithful. See what God does. Learn to give him 10%, whatever you get. Number two, learn to be generous. Give, give generously tips. Bless people that do. You know, you get, give generously. Don't be stingy with serving people. Don't be stingy with laborers. You know, I, I had a guy worked worked on my house this this 
past few weeks. And his brother took his life a couple weeks ago. And I invited him to church. And he said, well, I'm going to take my family camping if I can get the money together. And we just need to be together as a family. And I'm not, I didn't preach at him and say, oh, you got to be in church, don't go. I said, man, go camp and have a blast. But then the next week, I hope you come to church. And so the Lord just put on our heart, we'll give him some money. And I gave him some money. He said, you don't need to do that. I said, I know. I just want to remind you that God cares about you in the middle of all the pain your family's in right now. Gener- the, the generousness creates a witness that's attractive to the lost. That's one of the reasons we're successful is because we're a generous church. So tithe, be generous, and put your treasure where Jesus is. Make your money count for what matters to Jesus. Let's pray. Before you give the Lord a dime or lots of money, he wants your heart. That's what this is all about. It's He's wants you to treasure him in your heart, that he's the most valuable thing in the universe to you, that he's your Lord. And when you treasure him as your all and everything, then money will take care of itself. If you've not done that and you've not said yes to Jesus as Lord, I just invite you right now to whisper a prayer to say, Jesus, take all of my life, take my sins, Take my failures, take my finances, take all of me, take my relationship. Jesus, come be Lord of my life. You invite him. That's what these people that are getting baptized are saying. We don't baptize the right hand and leave the left out. We don't baptize the right leg and leave the left out. We don't baptize up to the neck and we don't. We put people all the way because we're all in with Jesus. Lord, would you bless that one or two that need to take a stand this morning? And we just ask you to bless this time of baptism in Jesus' name. Amen.